Well, good morning. It's um, such an honour to be here with you. And, um, you know, I always am amazed that God entrusts us with his precious people to bring what his heart to the different places we go. And I am still kind of awed and humbled that he would entrust us with his treasures. So thank you for having us here. We look forward to developing more of a friendship with Northgate Church. Um, we love Gerald and Lynn, so it's just great to be here. Um, I'm trying not to wipe out on my iPad. As you can tell, I'm over 30 and I'm not good with technology. I did have a, a significant birthday the other week, but I got a card from Ian and it said, if anyone asks your age, tell them you're between 29 and mind your own business. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm celebrating all year. Um, I just, I've got a prophetic word that I, f I just can't get away from that I felt God spoke to me at the end of last year that it was for the church. And it started with one particular church um, that we were visiting. But I felt God say, no, this is for the church, his bride. But there is some of it that is... I just felt God drop in my heart for some of you here as well. So has the wonderful PA person disappeared? I can't see them. Oh, there you are. Could you put up that scripture for me, please? As you can tell, I am a northerner. I emigrated to Leicester, but I do have a Yorkshire accent. God's own county. Okay, this is from Isaiah 43, and it's 18 to 25. So is it all up there yet? Oh, it'll come. Okay, I'm going to read this out. And I believe this is for this fresh new decade. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Now, we all know that God is definitely doing a new thing. He says that. I am doing a new thing. It's a new season. We're in a new decade. This nation is going into a new season with Brexit. And we have to, as his bride, be prepared and ready for this new season. And he says in the scripture, See, I am doing a new thing. And then he says, Do you not perceive it? And it's almost like God is saying, don't miss it. Look and see what I am doing. Catch a hold of my heart for you and for our nation in this decade. And it means that he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And I felt God saying, that's be as good as the past was or be as challenging as, as he's been. He's saying, don't dwell on it or we will miss it. 
It means that old practices and structures may have to be dismantled as they're no longer fit for the new thing. And good as they may have been, they're just not suitable for this next decade. And I love, I love new clothes. I love new shoes. And my kids are the same. And I remember Ian saying to our boys when they wanted a, a pair of trainers, and he went, well, they're not going to last you long. They're pretty cheap trainers. And I went, they're not bothered about that. They just want something for this season. They won't be good for the next season. Now, I know that was a fashion thing, but I feel like God is saying some of the things that the practices and the way we think are not fit for a new season, good as they may seem to us. And what I felt God saying is we take the best of our past and we use it as a springboard into the best of our future. And I feel that is what he's saying to Northgate today, that we don't dwell on and use all the good things necessarily, but we use them as a springboard into what he has for you as a community here and what he has for Chester. So past ways of thinking have to be left behind and not dwell, dwelt on. Have we become something to ask yourselves individually and corporately? Have we become entrenched in the way we do things? And God is not asking you this to condemn you. It's because he has so much more for you. And it's his heart of love and his heart of longing for the more that he has. Do we embrace new things and fresh revelation from scriptures and prophecy, etc.? but then swallow them up into all paradigms and structures that stifle the growth and fulfillment of a fresh move of God. So ask God, what do we need to leave behind and then leave them behind? Get out of the box and destroy the box so you can't get back in. Don't look back like Lot's wife did. And then this is particularly for some of you here, and this is God's heart of longing and not condemnation. But I feel as some of you individuals here, he's reaching out to you with longing. He says, some of you have become parched and dried because your places have become a wilderness and a wasteland or a desert. And I'm talking about our heart. You've become distracted by cares and pressures and even cynicism. But I'm holding out my arms to you with longing. There is no condemnation. I want to overwhelm you afresh with my love, my peace, my joy, my wisdom, my provision. And I will open your eyes afresh to my wonders so that you will live in wonder. I will touch you afresh so that every day you will receive my fresh kindnesses. And as you yield to my goodness and move forward in what I am doing in you. And I'm just gone back to, I just felt Holy Spirit say, it's yielding to his goodness. He's so good and he wants you not to miss it, but to yield to his goodness in every situation. He is good. And he's saying, as you yield to my goodness and move forward in what I'm doing in you then you too will become a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert for the thirsty and the parched because I will send them to you.
Well, good morning. Like has been already said, I have been here before. But some of you probably weren't even born when I was last here. It was so long ago. And uh, it was actually in 1994. And uh, at that time, uh, this church and where I was based was all part of the same network called Covenant Ministries. And some of you were around from back then. And I really do have fond memories of those times. Um, and I was here because all the churches in the network were involved in doing a um, teaching program of unfolding truth to the different congregations. And so I came over to do a teaching here in the spring of 1994. And for you that... Uh, Remember me, you're just realizing this man hasn't changed at all, and so, <laughs> cheers. But what was taking place in 1994 was hugely significant in God's program. And to be honest, when I came here, I wasn't aware of it. It was only in the summer of that year that I began to become aware of what was happening, which was a move of the Spirit that was based and initiated in Toronto. A move of the Spirit that caused people to laugh and experience joy, that caused people to encounter a power touch of God that sent, sometimes rendered them unable to stand and they would lie on the floor and this move of the spirit continued for a number of years and uh, where we were based in Yorkshire we would host meetings in order for people to come and drink and be refreshed of the very presence of God. It was a powerful time, it was a, a life transforming time. But what happened was that it began to dissipate and within two to three years there was then no sign of these kind of meetings uh, taking place in this nation at all. For me, life moves on. It's like I've got to get on with what God is doing. And uh, the man who led the network and was my spiritual father, Bryn Jones, um, in 2002 laid his hands on me to recognize my own apostolic calling and then one year later died. And some of the stuff that he was carrying fell on my shoulders. And it meant that I was super busy, traveling a whole lot more than I had done. And by 2006, my wife would say I was burnt out. So less than 10 years after a move of God, I'm quite exhausted. In fact, it was the summer of 2006, it was the summer because Wimbledon was on the TV, but I was so wiped out that I didn't have the energy to sit and watch Wimbledon. All I wanted to do was lie there and sleep. And in the midst of 
feeling exhausted and wiped out, I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to take a sabbatical. Now I had no grid for what does it mean to take a sabbatical. During my academic time, I knew that lecturers took sabbaticals in order to write books. So I thought, does he want to write a book? And so I had, I had no idea what that meant. And so because I didn't understand, I put it on the back burner. And I returned back to the office and two of my fellow elders said to me, Ian, we want a quick word with you. While you've been away and well, we've been seeking the Lord for you. And he has said the same thing to both of us. And we want to tell you what the Lord has said. And the Lord says, he wants you to take a sabbatical. And suddenly, that which was on the back burner is now right on the front burner. He's got my attention. And so I begin to pray in, Lord, what does this mean? Why do you want me to take a sabbatical? What is this all about? And as I set myself to pray and to seek the Lord, he said this to me. Ian, if you want to move with what my spirit is about to do, you have to honor what my spirit has already done. And I was devastated. Because I thought I had honored what the Spirit had done. I grew up, as you can tell, I have an authentic Welsh accent. I grew up in South Wales. My grandparents came to Christ as a result of the Welsh revival. I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My, both my parents were born-again, tongue-speaking people. I thought that I had responded to God. When the charismatic renewal came, I jumped into that. I thought that I had run with what the Spirit was doing. So I said, Lord, what moves of your Spirit haven't I honored? And he said to me, the first and last moves of my Spirit in the 20th century. And when he said it, I knew exactly what he meant. Because even though I'd grown up in South Wales... I'd never been to the place where the Spirit fell in Moriah Chapel in Lacha. I'd never honored the person of Evan Roberts that became the lightning rod of God's electricity that caused 100,000 people in South Wales to come to the Lord and became the spark plug for the Azusa Street revival that caused Pentecostalism to go around the world. I'd never honored it. And the last revival of the 20th century was that move of the Spirit that got initiated in Toronto. And I'd never bothered to go. And so I began to align my heart to say, Lord, I repent. And I want to honor what you honor. I want to honor the last moves of your spirit so that I can move with what you're doing currently and move into the future of all that you have. And so I went to Mariah 
I don't want to talk about it, but it's just simply I had an encounter with God in Mariah Chapel that was life-changing. And then as a leadership team, we went to Toronto, and my idea was this. I understood there, were, there was duct tape on the floor where people would stand in line for prayer, and I was going to stand on the line and repent to say, Lord, I'm sorry for not coming here before now and honoring this place and what you did here back in the mid-90s. To my shock, when we went there for this conference, there were thousands of people there, and I discovered that the move of God wasn't historical, it was continuing. It was still unfolding. People's lives were still becoming transformed, and what I thought was historic was actually current. And then I began to realize I had misinterpreted what God was doing. And one of the reasons why the move of God fizzled out in this country is that we never got to tap into the source. The water is always purest the closer you get to the source. And so we went to the source to discover that what we called the Toronto Blessing They didn't call it at all. What we discovered was that we'd imbibed something that was named by the tabloid press in the United Kingdom. Because they came to Holy Trinity Brompton, having been to Toronto, and it was the tabloid press that says, this is the Toronto blessing. Back in Toronto, they called it the Father's blessing. That puts a completely different picture on it. This move of God, because we didn't understand what it was about, it was the revelation of the Father to his family. Because we didn't understand what it was about, it fizzled out. But just like the move of God in the Welsh revival was about the person of the Spirit. So the move of God at the end of the 20th century was about the person of the Father. The Father wants connection with his kids. Why? Because he is a God who loves. His nature is passionate, pure love. And as a dad, I have four kids. We have four kids. I want heart connection with each of my kids. I want heart connection with each of my grandkids. Where do I get that from? I get that from a heavenly father whose image I've been made in, who wants connection with all his kids. He doesn't want you to have connection to your pastor or your priest or some minister. He wants to have connection with you because he loves you with all of his heart. And he wants heart-to-heart love to flow between you and him because you are unique. And you bring him what no other person brings him. And he longs for your love. And he longs for your affection. And he longs for connection. And the father wants his family back. And so we began to realize that some of the stuff, these these signs that were happening that came out of Toronto, the fact that people were, were laughing, it was... 
It was the joy of reconnection with a God they hardly knew. It was lying down so that instead of being consumed by activity, God was leading us into intimacy. It's about intimate heart connection. So this three-month sabbatical that we took, visiting these two places, besides that we were waiting on the Lord, and it was a beautiful journey into increasingly his heart of love. And we walked back into the church that we based in in Leicester, and a lady said to us, we had not said a word to anybody, we just walked back in, she says, I have no idea what's happened to you, but I want it. Because being in his love and in his presence is life transforming. Looking back, I would say one of the transforming things for me that God delivered me from being truth-led to being love-led. I'm not minimizing truth. I'm not that kind of person. But unless the truth is spoken in love, it can be harsh. It can be damaging. Because love is the context in which our Heavenly Father lives. That is because He is love. And because He's so generous and rich in kindness, He wants every one of His kids to live in what he lives. And we get it through heart connection with him. And we get it by enjoying his presence. The intimacy of knowing him reshapes our inner world. I've had the privilege of having two parents who were believers, like I said, and so from childhood I've known the scriptures. But when you have an encounter with God, it's like scales fall off your eyes and you see scriptures that you've read many times before, suddenly you see them through different eyes. It's like you're born again, again. Because scales fall off our eyes and our hearts get opened to a fresh experience. And because the Father is so generous and so desiring connection, He's constantly drawing us into new and fresh encounters. He does not want us to live on last year's manner. There are new, fresh things that he wants to impart to us because he's just so generously hearted. And as we went on this journey of the Father heart and his love for us, familiar scriptures took on a whole new perspective. When I realized that it was all about intimacy and not about activity, 
it was so liberating because it was activity that had caused me to be burnt out. And from the Father's perspective, He doesn't want any of us to burn out. He loves us too much for that. He doesn't get burned out. He doesn't intend us to get burned out. So if there is burnout, if there is exhaustion, this is a moment to say, Lord, what's the issue here that I can become reorientated, can become refreshed in you so that instead of being burnt out, I have new strength for a new season, for a journey that I've yet to complete. And without doubt for me, one of the most precious parts of Scripture has become Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room. Judas has left. The betrayer is gone. And he's here with these 11 men who he has opened his heart to and lived his life in front of. And in this holy place of inaugurating a new covenant, he opens his heart and shares with them. And you know the scripture in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I knew that scripture from being a boy, and if anybody had asked me the question, where is Jesus the way to? I would have said he's the way to heaven. We even sang a song that said, he is the way to heaven. But that is not what Jesus said. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Where is he, where is he the way to? He's the way to the Father. And Jesus came so that all of God's kids could have a connection with the Father and have a relationship of intimacy and love just like Jesus did. It's not about activity. It's about intimacy. So I want to turn you, please, to John chapter 15. And just to hear what Jesus says. Verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. The reality is that Jesus came from heaven to earth. But even though he was geographically distant from his father in that his father was in heaven and he was on earth, the reality was that in relationship 
there was no disconnect at all, and that the relationship of intimacy that he had had with the Father from eternity past was unbroken when he walked on earth. In fact, the Father lived in him, and it was the Father that was living in him that was doing the works that he did. And so Jesus lived on earth. He experienced hostility from the people around him. The Jews, by and large, did not believe in him. But his inner world was shaped by his father's love and the realm of heaven that he had always lived in from eternity past. And he says, as the father has loved me, what have I received from him? I give to you. Now abide in this love. And, and this love, as you well know, is called agape. It's divine love. It's a different love to human love. Where human love is drawn out by a beauty in another object. Where you find something desirable and your soul is moved to appreciate it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just inferior to divine love because God's love is not dependent on who we are or how we behave. God's love is an expression of what he's like, and it's unconditional. It doesn't depend upon our behavior, and it's unchanging because he's the one that doesn't change, and it never runs out because he is the eternal one. And so his love is a reflection of who he is. And Jesus came to express how the Father loves. He came to talk primarily about one thing. It was the Father. Yes. He came to show us what the Father was like and introduce every one of us into a relationship of intimacy with the Father. John was the apostle that put his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. Felt the heartbeat of God. He makes this stunning statement in his epistle and says this, We love because he first loved us. You can only agape somebody else if you've only already first been agaped yourself. It's not like it's something we can work up because we haven't got this resource. We can only receive it first and what we receive we can give to others. Husbands, Agape your wives. The best thing you can do, husbands, is be agaped yourself. And what God pours into your own heart, you pour out to the one that you're in covenant with. You agape your wife as you're agaped. Jesus says, This is my command. In the new covenant, the old covenant had ten commands. The new covenant is one command. The one command of the new covenant is 
agape one another as I have agaped you. By this shall all men know you are my disciples because you understand doctrine. I don't think so. Not that doctrine is unimportant, but this is, shall be how people shall know that you are my disciples, because you're carrying agape, and you're pouring it out to whoever is in front of you, including your enemies. Because this agape is unconditional. It doesn't matter if it's a friend or a foe. This is the agape of God. And there's a waiting world out there that's starving for love because they've been looking for it in all the wrong places. And this is the church's finest hour where we too are arise in the love relationship with the Father and pour out to others what the Father has poured into our own hearts. By this shall all men know because of its agape that comes from above. And it's so simple. And it's so accessible because it's about a father and his family. But we made it about truth and about doctrine and about practice and about church politics. And it's nothing to do about that. And it's all to do with agape love. God was reorientating our inner world to say, I want my kids back. My kids belong to me. Don't even belong to leaders. Churches don't belong to leaders. It's my church. He's very picky if somebody messes with his bride. God is one in pure agape love with his people so that us being immersed in what comes from above not only transforms us but can transform the world around us. Marge brought this prophetic word to you. Behold, I'm doing something new among you. In the worship, God was speaking to me prophetically about a similar thing using a different picture from the book of Job. That even though a tree is chopped down and its stump is in the ground, and anybody looking at it would think, what's that compared to what it once was? At the scent of water, the presence of the Spirit. What seems truncated springs into life because the roots are from Him. He planted the seed, He caused it to germinate, and if we will just align, with what he wants to do, what seemed over 
brings into life. Anybody that's been involved in gardening knows that when you cut down that tree, you can't believe two years later what's happened to it because suddenly it's so verdant, it sprouts, it's so expansive, and it so recovers. And God hasn't finished with you yet. More than that, he desires that every good word he's ever brought to you, he wants to fulfill, but it's going to be filled through an experience of his love by his spirit where the love of the Father is being poured into our hearts and life begins to emerge all over again. I want to give you a couple more verses. Because this love comes with other things too. Which is so precious. Chapter 14 of John and verse 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Our God is not only agape, but he is perfect shalom, peace. He's called the God of peace. There is absolutely nothing that perturbs him. And this God of peace, who has loved his eternal Son for all of eternity, so that the Son is known as the Prince of Peace, comes and says, my peace, my shalom, my wholeness, my wellness, I give to you. in a world that is so constantly changing that people's heads are spinning, they desire in peace. And it's found in a person who's the prince of peace. Because he's now living in us, we not only pour out love, we pour out shalom. We pour out peace. Again, this revelation has just changed our lives. That we have learned to proclaim, declare, prophesy peace over our neighbors, over our village, over our city, over our region, over everywhere we go. We shift the atmosphere by proclaiming peace and communicating and demonstrating peace. This is the calling on us as God's people to so experience peace that blessed are the sons of God because they are peacemakers. Not peacekeepers. They actually make the peace, not just keep it. 
The final scripture I just want to share with you, which comes in this package, is in John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So if you remember, Psalm 16 says, in the presence of the Lord, there is joy forevermore. So our Heavenly Father is filled with love. He's the most peaceful person you will ever meet. He is the God of peace. But also, He is filled with joy. And so when He sends His Son, His Son is a carrier of joy. He's anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows because he carries the joy that comes from the delight of intimacy with the Father who himself lives in pure joy. And he says, this joy that I have, I give to you because when you're connected to me, when you abide in me and I abide in you, everything that's in me, I pour out to you because my desire is that I'm not just the only son, but I give you the empowerment to be sons of God like I am. It's all through intimacy. It's all through connection with the Father. It's all through connection with Jesus and by the Spirit. He pours it out to us. And see, this, this joy, according to Nehemiah, gives us strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It comes from intimacy. It comes from living as sons. And I'm talking men and women here. And the reason I'm using the word sons is because in the scripture, sons get the inheritance. Ladies, in the new covenant, you're in. You're sons. You get the inheritance. I'm not taking away your gender. I'm just saying in the new covenant, there's neither male nor female. Sons of God, they get the inheritance. So there's no second-class citizens. We're all those that are be sons of God and to receive his joy so that we can carry strength. It all comes out of intimacy. So in the process, what God has been doing for us in reconnecting us with the Father and what the Father is like is transforming us on the inside from activity-led behavior to intimacy because activity-led behavior is evidence of being an orphan, not a son. God is not after a family of orphans that are looking to prove themselves. He's looking for a family of sons that are just thrilled about being loved, being accepted, so thrilled to receive agape that they can then give it away. 
God's plan has never changed, even though we've been dumb and missed it and didn't get it. But his plan is still the same, that through the church, his bride, his manifold wisdom is going to be made known to the principalities and the, and the powers. And he has no plan B. It's still his design that his family represents what he's like. You've been through some stuff, and God says, I still love you. And you've been through turmoil, and he says, I'm going to give you my peace. And you've been through challenging times, and he's saying, my joy is your strength. And across his body here in Chester, and here in Northgate as an expression of his body, He's wanting to raise you up to demonstrate to this city and to this whole region that through his church, he's going to display his nature to everybody around. What has been lost, he's going to restore. All he wants is your alignment of heart with him. All he wants is your heart connection of intimacy. All he wants is your love response. And you don't even have to initiate it. All you have to do is respond. The Christian life is a responsive life to the lover of our souls. As we respond to his love, Give him glory like we did in worship this morning. As we give him praise, give him thanks. As we pour out to others what he pours into us. Our own lives are transformed. And the lives of others are transformed too. Beloved. He's calling you in. To even greater intimacy. Sweetheart, do you want to say something here? Before I finish, yeah. uh, is, oh, this is on. Um, on this on this journey that we embarked on, on the Father's heart, and just connecting our hearts as His children, His sons, um, it just transformed, like Ian says, the way you read Scripture, and it transformed the way that I saw myself, because I began to see myself how the Father sees me. And he began to show me who he really is. And then I could believe who he said I was. And I just sense that this morning that the Father wants to show you who he really is, but how he sees you as well, and to go on that journey. And one of the things that I just heard God drop in was um, a testimony of an upgrade. We were going to um, Chicago I was in a bad mood because I like to be there. I could be there so early you could get the flight before. And Ian likes to give the plane a sporting chance. And so this was how we were. It was quite a number of years ago now. I am a work in progress. And um, so I'm chuntering away. I don't know why I just didn't take my boarding pass and go to the gate, but I'm going to go. We're going to be late. They're going to want, you know, you hear this. If you don't get your plane now, we will unload your luggage. And I'm panicking. And we're in our, we've, we've flown from Birmingham to Amsterdam, then we're going on to Chicago. So eventually, I'm running to the gate, I'm chuntering. 
why is he like this, Lord? Why does he do this to me? You know, the husband that you gave me, Lord. And um, when we got there, the guy at the gate said, we've been waiting for you. And I thought it was him. It was him. And he went, you've got an upgrade. You're in business class and you're upstairs. And Ian starts grinning smugly because he knows I've been. But as I got on the plane, I just sensed God saying, this is an upgrade, not just here, but this is an upgrade in your walk with me. This is an upgrade in your connection with me. And I just sense this morning, that is what God is saying to you, that no matter how you feel you've been and where you are in life or spiritually, he's holding out his arms and he's saying, I've been waiting for you. And when I, I was about to get on the plane and, and the guy said, no, hang on a minute. I need to change your boarding class. Give me your economy class and I'll give you my business class. And I just sense God is saying he wants you to, you to hand in your economy boarding pass, that economy class thinking, how you see yourself, how you see him, because he wants to upgrade you to not just business, but to first class in your encounters with him, in your encounters with his love, in how you see yourself and how you see, see him. And the scriptures will just open up to you and you will see them. And, and I'm just going to let Ian come back on. But one of the main scriptures, and I cried on a flight. We were going to Phoenix to actually speak in Arizona. And I read the story, and it's called The Lost Son or The Prodigal Son. And I realized it wasn't. It was a story about a lavish father. And I just wept, and I said to Ian, I've got to share this when we get to Phoenix. I just wanted everybody to know what a lavish father he is. There's nothing wrong in flying economy class. <laughs> but who wants to fly economy class when we can have an upgrade? And what Marge is expressing is the Father is inviting you into more, into higher, into greater. It's not that what you've had is bad but there's something greater that he wants. Yeah. It's all to do with his intimacy with us. And it's coming into a fullness of sonship that displays the glory of Jesus to the world because we carry more of Jesus and that we can carry him to give him away so that the world can see how wonderful and beautiful Jesus is. So if you are desiring this morning to say, yeah, I'm ready to hand in what I know in order to take a hold of what the Father has for me in greater inheritance and in greater measure, I want to pray for you, so would you stand? If that's you, you stand.